More than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. You're tuned into 88.7 KBBR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Joseph Valencia. And I'm Grace Dietzler. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student or postdoc at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all of the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests, and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and today we are lucky to be joined by Andrew Herrera, an MA candidate in the School of Writing, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Andrew, it's great to have you on ID. So you are one of a few film grad students at Oregon State, so we're going to talk about kind of your story and getting to Oregon State, but First, tell me a bit about your, a bit about yourself and maybe how you became interested in film. Yeah, I um, I've always really loved film and movies ever since I was a kid. Um, I would always watch movies with my mom and dad, and especially my mom, and she would show me all of uh, all of her favorite uh, movies from when she was a kid, and uh, it kind of um, it kind of seemed like I was growing up in the, with, you know, with the same movies that she was, um, because, you know, as, as I got older, you know, she would show me the more, you know, mature movies, you know, that she would, you know, as I got older, the movies would mature, you know? Yeah. So you kind of grew up with movies and and it sounds like they were really integral part of your life. At what point did you kind of go, Hey, I think this, I want to make a career out of this. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, in community college in, um, my hometown and I, uh, was, uh, an English major and I, uh, was taking this course, uh, called, uh, film and literature. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that you could do the, you know, both of them at the same time, um, uh, I, I only knew uh, that you could be an English major because I was like, well, I mean, I really like books and uh, uh, I had never heard that you could, you know, s- pursue film academically. Mm-hmm. And um, that really like um, really put me on that like path of I really want to study film. So once you decided to make that transition or that leap, did you feel like it was a big change to go from writing about novels or poetry to um, cinema. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it actually, it, that change actually came, 
you know, probably sooner than you think, um, actually when I started the program here because uh, my undergrad degree was in English literature. Um, so uh, I I got to to write about film um, as much as possible in, in my English classes, as much as my professors would let me. Um, uh, but I, I, do, I didn't have a lot of film writing experience um, really uh, uh, until I got um, to this program to study the film, which is why I came here. <laughs> so you went to community college and you did you finish your degree here at OSU? Or yeah, okay. I um, I started um, I actually started at UC Riverside um, okay. in Riverside, California, um, and uh, and I didn't quite finish there because there it was the only school that I got into and um, and they didn't have any kind of film program. So I went into the English program and um and i and i like and i still love books and but it just didn't feel like something i i really wanted to do so i um i didn't finish there and i i took a couple years off and and you know i had a, you know a job at target and all this stuff and i did all these things in between and um finally decided to um finish my degree and i started to look uh in places where i could do both Mm. literature and film and this was one of the few places um where i could actually do both and so i was like okay i'm gonna go here um and 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 study both because i really do love both but i i I have a a special affinity for film that's amazing i i didn't know that osu was unique in that regard Mm -hmm. um so was there a is there a particular film that you look back on and think um, and, and like kind of view as a catalyst for this kind of shift or multiple films or? Yeah, um, definitely Black Swan. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, I remember. Um, yeah, I just remember being so amazed by that film, like um, the imagery and um the effects and the acting, especially, I mean, Mm. you know, Natalie Portman won an Oscar for that role. (laughs) And, um, it was just something that you could think about like forever and just not stop. And, and well, at least I could, you know, I, I sat what felt like forever after I saw that movie and, and just thought about it. And, um, and it it was that was when I was like I really want I really wanted to write about movies. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, so a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, you know, just watching movies just as a fan for entertainment. Um, and I was wondering if it's kind of what the similarities and differences are when you're watching a movie to be a critic or a scholar, mm-hmm. sort of about the movie. Yeah. Um, I guess the difference is like if you're watching as a fan, you're not necessarily, um, you know, watching every, you know, watching for every little detail in the film. Um, You know, you're just there to have a good time and watch the movie. Um, But if you're watching critically, you know, you're watching, you're looking at, 
you know, the setting and you're looking at the lighting and you're looking at camera angles and you're looking at, you know, the writing, you know, the dialogue, what's what's being said, who's saying it. And is it important, uh, you know, who's saying it, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so you're you're really looking at every single detail when you're looking at a film critically. Um, and I even when I'm going into like to a film, knowing that I want to write about it and, and before I watch it and uh, I, I will always watch as a fan, I will always just watch it. Um, I will I will never go in as a critic first. I, I want to go in as just a movie fan first. So, so as a follow up to that, are there ever any times where maybe there are movies that you dislike as a fan, but you nonetheless think are interesting, maybe thematically to to watch or maybe the, maybe vice versa? Yeah, that's an that's an interesting question. Um I, okay, so this is this is probably going to be a little bit controversial. Uh, Do it. I really dislike Blade Runner, mm. <laughs> like vehemently. I really dislike that movie. I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, however, um, I I do think um, it is a um, I don't know a big, big, uh, film that you can just look into for years and come out with so many different cool theories and, 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 uh, um, everything that, that comes with, you know, studying a film, uh, because it's just, it's, it, it really is a beautiful film, but I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it makes any sense. It's really, it's, <laughs> it's really pretty to look at, right. I think. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think it makes any sense in my opinion. I don't, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those visuals probably is what you're talking about. Like it mm-hmm. kind of spawns this whole cyberpunk aesthetic, right? Yeah, that and you know the whole um, aspect of the the sentient uh, nature of um, the uh, I forgot what they're called um, replicants. Replicants, right? yeah. yeah. Um, the sentient nature of the replicants, and you know whether or not they are you know, they really are they have feelings and emotions, or you know, um, I, I I I don't. The reason why I don't think Blade Runner makes sense is because it, it I don't I don't believe the um, the AI as the other. Mm. I don't believe it. Um, I I don't like the idea of the other being something that's not human. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, quote unquote, being like a um, a oh, what would you call like it? Like a, a marginalized, antagonist. yeah, like a marginalized. Um, group yeah yeah as represented in in film like is that a word you would use to describe yeah that theme or component of okay yes gotcha gotcha um so if you are just tuning in you're listening to kbvr 88.7 fm and we are chatting with andrew herrera a uh, ma candidate in the school of writing literature and film and uh we're talking about film here (laughs) some hot takes on the show tonight (laughs) Um, but, but continuing to talk about film, 
And I'm going to try to make a segue here. So you talked about Blade Runner. What did you think of the of the sequel that came out a couple years ago? I really, really loved it. Yeah. Um, I thought the only the only the only criticism I would have is that it was way too long. Mm. Um, and it just kind of dragged on a little bit too much. But um, other than that, the story. Um, I love Ryan Gosling as an actor. Obviously, he is. <laughs> one of my favorite actors, if not probably my favorite actor. Um, and yeah. And Harrison Ford is amazing. Um, yeah, it was, it was just really great uh, all in all. But um, I, I, it's, I still have the same problem uh, as with, with Blade Runner. Um, but I do, I, I did enjoy the sequel a lot more um, than I did, than I did the uh, original. So I'll pick up on where that segue was going. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to the topics that you're studying right now in your thesis? Yeah, so uh, I'm writing about uh, three films by a Danish filmmaker. Um, his name is Nicholas Vending Refn. And uh, his most famous film um, that I'm writing about is called Drive with Ryan Gosling. Also with Ryan Gosling. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and that film particularly is, uh, was kind of the, um, seed to my thesis. Um, uh, because I saw that film and I loved it so much. I started watching, um, his other films and I watched, uh, Bronson, mm. uh, which has Tom Hardy and he plays this, um, famous, um, real life, um, British prisoner, uh, who was famous for his like brutality? He was uh, he was um, getting in a lot of fights in prison, um, brawling with the guards and other prisoners and things like that. Um, and then after Drive, um, the director he released another film with Ryan Gosling um, called Only God Forgives, um, and that one, um, like Drive, is another sort of neo noir. Mm. Um, and it's set in Bangkok, and um, and that one is uh, is about like a gangster whose um, brother gets uh, murdered uh, for being um, a pedophile and a rapist, and <laughs> and um, his uh, mother um, he, uh, flies to Bangkok because her son has been killed and uh, charges uh, Ryan Gosling's character with um, uh, the vengeance mm. of his brother. And um, these three films um, I'm sort of writing about as like a unit in the way that um, they present um, gender, mm. specifically um, masculinity um, and the way it is performed, uh, particularly through violence. Yeah, and all three are, are fairly violent films for sure. Um, so what are some of the, I guess, some of the similarities and some of the differences in the way these films all portray this uh, this this image of masculinity through the lens of, of violence? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, with the films with Ryan Gosling, Only God Forgives, and with Drive, um, I f it they feel like it almost feels like a burden. Mm. Um, these characters feel burdened uh, with their violence. 
um, because um, they are so um, because they're very silent. You know, the um, there are not a lot of words in these films. Um, and so a lot of it is in the face and with Ryan Gosling, especially, he has that face that he makes that is just so, um, uh, it's like introspective, like he's just within himself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so both of these characters are, are a lot more just sort of burdened by, um, the the need to uh perform violence for their masculinity and but with bronson um it, it i'm kind of looking at it in a little bit more of that the masculinity is is sort of what is um kind of ruining bronson's life mm -hmm. this um um chasing um the violence of masculinity and with um the two uh, Ryan Gosling films, um, it's it's masculinity is still ruining their lives, mm -hmm. but in just in a different way. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting um, that you point out that it it's kind of a burden on these characters because I watched Drive the other night in preparation for this um, interview, and I, um, you know, one of the first lines in the film, Ryan Gosling's character is, is talking about how he doesn't carry a gun. He doesn't get involved with the crimes that he's, you know, being the getaway driver for. Um, so it's, it's like a, a, a job for him, but he doesn't necessarily want to get involved with the violence of it. Yeah. Um, this is, this is kind of why I, I want to also explore, this is kind of why I also want to explore genre mm -hmm. um, with um, Drive and Only God Forgives um, specifically because they're both neo-noir films. And with with neo-noir comes the um, uh, uh, tropes of a, a film noir, a traditional film noir film, which is um, a period of film that uh, was fr from um, the end of uh, World War II, so like 1945 mm -hmm. uh, until 1960. Um, so post-war films and all, um, they were like... Um, usually like uh, like mystery films uh, crime films um the maltese falcon is one of them um that's a really famous one um you know things like that so um neo noirs are anything post 1960 that uh, have all these same themes and with neo noir a lot of times um the protagonists are like uh, these very burdened um um, sort of hard-boiled mm. um, characters, and um, um, but then also with neo noir, there comes major misogyny and violence um, because that's a big part part of um, film noir. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about it being a burden, um, and maybe with some some of the tropes of the neo noir genre. Um, is it maybe these kind of morally ambiguous characters or do you feel like there is a clear resolution of this aspect of masculinity is having clear negative consequences in the end or, um, in, I would say the only film that I would say has clear negative consequences, um, is Bronson. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, the film ends and he's still just brawling with the guards. And 
So it's implied um, the guy, I think he's still alive, actually. He's just really old. Um, uh, So he's alive and I don't think he's in prison anymore. But like um, that doesn't really matter for the film because it ends with him still brawling. So it's you kind of just get this feeling that it's just going to be a cycle. Like it's just him and it's just that's going to be his life. This like really sad, violent brawl. Same old Bronson. Yeah. Yeah, with the kind of uh, idea of ambiguity, though, um, I'm thinking of the line that from uh, Drive that you kind of mentioned as being a really kind of pivotal line to the film. And I'm going to go ahead and um, play it for our listeners. And then I just want you to, like, I don't know, reflect on, like, what this kind of means for the film and and for. uh, Let's see if I can get my tech working here. (laughs) Yeah, it will be kind of great to see just how. You go about your process of analyzing the dialogue. Um, we won't have the the visuals here, but uh, yeah, it would be great to see it Let's in see progress. If this works. Nope. Okay. Well, it's not going to play. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Maybe you can paraphrase. The, the yeah. Um, the scene is basically um, driver, and he's sitting with. Um, uh, Irene's son, who is um, his like love interest in the film, um, he's sitting on the uh, on on the couch with uh, her son, and her son is watching like a cartoon. And um, he asks um, the little boy, "Is that is that a bad guy?" Um, and um, he goes, "Yeah." And he asks the boy, well, "How do you know why?" And she goes, "He's a, he's a shark." And he asks, "There are no good sharks?" And he goes, "No." And um, the black and white thinking of children. Yeah, it's very black and white. And um, that line in particular got really got me thinking about the whether or not this sort of um, violence is um, just sort of um, the nature of mm-hmm. of masculinity. Is, is it just in, in, is it just intrinsic um, or is it, you know, uh, learned uh, and uh, or, so I I, I started thinking about that and then um, that is kind of what connected me with um, his scorpion jacket. It made me mm-hmm. started it made me start to think about the scorpion on his back because it made me think about um, the scorpion and the frog um, fable. Um, I don't know where the fable comes from um, and I think multiple cultures around the world have a version of this um, fable, but the fable basically sure. uh, goes that. Um, the scorpion is trying to get across like some body of water, like a river or a stream or something, um, but he can't swim. Um, so he asks the frog um, for a ride across and um, the frog says, no, um, you know, why would I do that? You'll just sting me. And the scorpion tells uh, the frog, um, uh, no, I, you know, why, why would I sting you? Then we'd both drown. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, what's the point of that? And so the frog is like, oh, you know, that makes sense and and gives him a ride. Um, but then um, the scorpion stings him and they both drown and die. But before they die, the frog asks him why he did it. And the scorpion tells him that it's just in his nature. Yeah. Um, so um, the scorpion on the back of his jacket always made me think of that fable. immediately when I saw I was like scorpion and the frog. Um and I really thought it really kind of made me think about is 
is Driver the scorpion mm. or is he the frog? Interesting. With the scorpion on his back. That's, ooh. You know, because ooh. he can take the jacket off and the scorpion is not on his back. And, yeah. when, the, and when he's doesn't have the jacket on, he's not as violent. Yeah. Ooh, that's that just gave me chills. Yeah. Because um, I think there's a line later in the movie where he like calls someone and he's like, you know, the story about the scorpion and the frog, mm-hmm. um, the frog drowned or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I interpret it as him being the scorpion. But that's the scorpion being on his back. Very literally. That's yeah, I like that. <laughs> and so that does kind of get to the the theme you brought up of whether it's intrinsic or assumed is he is he yeah. putting it on yeah or? uh one of the things i wanted to t- to work with is uh judith butler's um uh theory of like gender performativity mm-hmm. and although that theory is not at all literal um it uh i w- i wanted i was curious about w- what w- what would it look like if we made gender performativity literal mm-hmm you know, like a literal performance and, you know, driver has his jacket um, and he puts on his gloves and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, at one point he puts on a a literal mask, a literal mask. Um, And um, that's another theme actually I want to look at with Mm. drive is masks and the masculinity being a mask, Mm. um, uh, like a mask of protection. And I want to talk about the different masks that driver wears. Um, including a blood mask. You know, he has that that scene where his face is completely full of blood. Um, But yeah, um, and and, um, in Bronson, he, he, um, you know, kind of tells his story um, as if he was like in this one man show. He's like narrating the movie and um, but it's because he's crazy. (laughs) And um, and there's this moment where he's like dressed up in like a half you know, man, half woman, um, kind of costume. And I'm like thinking, well, you know, he's performing this, this kind of, um, uh, gender kind of swap, you know, within himself. Um, and, and also, um, and also like the, the, the fighting, right. You know, there's that, um, kind of the fighting, um, performance, you know, there's, it's like a dance, you know, yeah, and then I, I didn't watch Only God Forgives, but I did read into read up on it a little bit, and um, it, it seems like one of the really defining moments in that film is the moment where Ryan Gosling's character literally reaches into the body of his dead mother and pulls her womb out. Yeah, it's very edible. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, which is something that I'm going to definitely I'm going to have to explore it yeah. in my thesis. Um, I don't really want to because oh, I, yeah. I don't. You know, I don't want to read Freud, really. Like, yeah. who does anybody want to read Freud? <laughs> yeah. But um, mm. I guess I could probably avoid it, but probably not. Eat. But anyways, uh, yeah, uh, the Oedipal um, nature of, mm. of that film is, you know, one of the most um, crazy things uh, in, in that movie for, for me, for sure. Because there's that there's a scene in the film where he takes this um, prostitute uh, to meet his mother acting like this is his girlfriend. Mm. And um, she makes a comment about his penis and, uh, you know, how um, large him and his brother's penises are. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, 
okay. We're going there. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> and, and, and it's just like, yeah. And, and, and there's, there's all these different layers to that film, especially, um, uh, uh, like for instance, God, there's the, mm. the, there's a literal guy in the film that represents God and the, the punish the, the, the punishment of God, the, um, the, um, the, the vengeful nature of God. Um, and and in that film specifically mm. lots of different layers yeah so yeah you mentioned the concept of the three films kind of being an unofficial trilogy um do you want to talk about the sort of visual whether it's visual or thematic themes that are through them maybe in the way that violence is presented that kind of drew that connection for you yeah um it was more in the way it was more in the in the performance of um of that violence um uh because um all of the violence in these films it's it's very rare mm. that you're going to see a gun in any of these mm. films um a gun or even like a weapon really um there's a, a big sword in only god forgives and the, pretty much that's it like a lot of the violence is hand to hand physical mm. violence um there's literally a, like a fist fight in only god forgives like uh the tagline of the film was Brian Gosling saying want to fight and he fight he literally fights god he fights the character that represents God mm -hmm. in the film. And so he's literally fighting God. And so God is like kicking his butt, like just like going for it. Um, and his character is not called God, of course, but, yeah. um, it, and it's just like, and then there's actually, if you look up that film, there's, there's a, a picture of Ryan Gosling's face in makeup. Um, just, bruised and swollen bleeding everywhere because he got beat up so bad. And the guy was just using his fists mm. and his uh, legs. He was like kicking and stuff. And so that was really um, what linked them for me. The, all of the violence was just so um, hand to hand, brutal violence. So we've been talking a lot about how you're kind of viewing these films for your um, through kind of a critical lens for your dissertation. I'm curious how much the director's like intentions with the films come into play versus like the interpretations that you and the, the rest of the audience kind of makes. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I've watched a lot of interviews of the director of him, like talking about his work and things like that. Um, so I, I sort of kind of am familiar with, um, some of his intentions. Um, but really, um, I don't really like to, to, to pay attention to whatever the director was intending. Mm -hmm. Um, I, um, I, I will see the film for, for what it is presenting, um, to me. Well, do you have any more questions, Joseph? I don't think so. Is there, is there anything else do you want to talk about? Any other interest you have with, within film exploring or yeah, everything like these that? Films. Yeah. Um, 
within these films or any or just any. your interest yeah. in just film. open-ended yeah. question yeah open-ended question yeah no um i really i really enjoy queer film um a lot um and i and i i really enjoy um horror too especially mm-hmm. um i uh recently did a little um seminar yeah. paper any recommendations as we're going into you know Spooky season. Oh, spooky season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I just saw Pearl with one of my friends um, in my cohort. And uh, Pearl is amazing. It's a prequel to um, X, which came out earlier this year. Um, so two films in one year, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, they're coming out with a third one because it's going to be a trilogy. And um, they're actually filming that one right now. Um, that is a great film. Um, but yeah, I really love horror. And I wrote a, a whole... Um, paper about uh uh the trajectory sort of of the the final girl and how mm. we're the slashers today are kind of moving away from the final girl of the past and although the final girl was uh at the time um very um sort of a, a feminist figure and now it's just very the final girl trope is just a little bit more antiquated can you, Sorry, can you define that I'm gonna ask yeah you that. yeah sure. um so uh, the final girl trope originally is uh for those who don't know it's just the the girl who lives at the end mm. of a slasher movie right um it's almost always a girl uh, although it doesn't have to be um there's um a couple where there's boys but um uh, they're almost always like virginal mm-hmm. um, and they have no interest usually in dating or boys. Um, a lot of times they have very masculine names, but not always. Um, and uh, a lot of the times they're very smart, intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, they they stand out from their friends. You know, they're like the bookish type. Um, and um, but it's it's very antiquated in the in the way that it kind of just um just conforms to patriarchal notions mm. of, um, you know, virginity, you know, being the sort of um, uh, uh, worthy one, you know, mm-hmm. and um, she's the one worthy of living because she's virginal and she, you know, doesn't do drugs or, uh, you know, and, you know, she's smart and, you know, gets good grades and, you know, it's very that. And, and, and although she is a symbol of power for women, um, I believe that there has been a shift uh, of the final girl um, starting kind of in the 90s with Scream and um, uh, Sidney Prescott in Scream. Um, And then now we have X that came out in this year um, where the final girl in that film is none of those things. You know, she's an adult film star and she does drugs Mm. and, you know, she curses and drinks and smokes cigarettes and, you know, and but she's, you know, also all the, you know, not antiquated, you know, patriarchal things that the final girl is, you know. Cool. So do you think that's where kind of that trope is is moving is kind of like turning it on its head entirely? Or are we also seeing like newer um, tropes being kind of developed as well? Um. Yeah, I I definitely see um, a sort of trend in um, slashers that has been sort of this um, like bait and switch, which is really weird because they will um, I've seen it like maybe two or three times. I can't remember the movies off the top of my head, but it 
it would be like it's presented as a slasher. People are dying one by one like it's a slasher. And then it's a bait and switch where it's like in the end, it wasn't really a slasher or it, you know, it just, you know, the deaths were being explained away in other different ways. And mm-hmm. and it, it just felt weird that it, these films were being um, uh, like advertised and promoted as, as slashers. And then you go in and yeah, you get all the fun horror stuff, mm-hmm. but then it's not a slasher at all. And it's not what you think. And I don't know how I feel about that. Mm. I don't. Yeah, is it really a slasher if it's not actually a is slasher? It's not actually a slasher. <laughs> Horror directors, take note. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're getting towards the end of our show here. Um, this has been so much fun. I've learned so much. Um, and so I think we'll go ahead and uh, do our three traditions here. So on Inspiration Dissemination, we have... Um, a couple traditions that we like to uh, have our guests participate in at the end of the show. Um, so the the first is, uh, what is what is your favorite thing about what you study? Um, my favorite thing about what I study is that um, I can just do it every day, like whenever I want. You know, like I can. I can literally do, like what I study is watching movies. Does like, it feel like work? Yeah, it doesn't feel like work. Like what I study is watching movies. Like what I do for for a living is just like turning on Netflix or something. You know, like that's really cool. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah, sounds like a dream job for a lot of people. I think for sure. Um, and then our our second uh, tradition here is um, to ask you for a piece of advice. Uh, so give us a piece of advice and tell us what it is and who it's for. Yeah, um, I would say this is definitely for um, grad students mm-hmm. um, uh, because this really helped me. And 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 maybe like simple and obvious, but like sometimes that's like the best advice. And that was um, I I always set like a work time limit because mm. with because yeah. um, with grad grad graduate study especially like it's very easy to like just take your work home with you and just keep doing it in all hours of the night. And I just know anything that comes out of this brain past 10 PM <laughs> is not going to be any good. Can't vouch for that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do it. And so, uh, I just, I set a limit. I stop working whatever I'm doing at 10 PM. And, um, in the morning I don't start any work um, until I've had breakfast, mm. at least. I think that's great advice. I I do something similar, and I I pretty much work nine to five, <laughs> unless there's extenuating circumstances. And I think it's served me really well in graduate school because it's so easy to get burnt out on something that a lot of us are in graduate school because we love something a mm. lot and we want to study it. We have a passion for it, um, but sometimes that can that passion can, can be our downfall. <laughs> um, so our last tradition here to close out the show uh, is we have you pick your outro song. So I want you to tell us um, what song it is and why you picked it. Yeah, I picked uh, Night Call by Kavinsky because it is the song that plays um, in the uh, introductory credits in Drive. And I think it's a really cool song. And yeah, that's why I picked it. I definitely agree. It's a great song. And uh, so thank you for joining us on Inspiration Dissemination this week, Andrew. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. It's great to have you. And with that, here is Night Call by Kavinsky. 
Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamad. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends.